Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we review the new dinosaur action sci-fi horror romp, uh, J.A. Bayona's Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, and we take a very close look at uh, Luc Besson's last film, uh, Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, uh, which was on Amazon Prime. If you haven't seen it, go ahead and pause and watch it, or don't. It's, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um we also have news and a very uh, subtle, nuanced discussion on the death of cinema, and more to come on that. But first, a slight departure from news this week. Uh, some correspondence, Andy. You <laughs> found this. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, right. So, so we had a comment on our uh, Instagram post uh, from last week's show. Mm-hmm. Um, Derpatron2002 <laughs> says, yeah, they're both for adults. They're both for adults. In reference to um, our post, which was about last week's episode, um, which was Incredibles 2 and Lady Bird. So he says, yes, they're both for adults. Indeed, they are, but they are for everyone, arguably. For, for more uh, hot takes from Derpatron2002, follow us on Instagram uh, to see more exciting uh, goodness from off script. On to the news. Uh, AMC Theaters announces a movie pass killer, 12 movies per month for 1995. Andy, you are the go-to on all things MoviePass, AMC, <laughs> and news when I don't really know what the story is. Please, take it away. Okay, so ever since MoviePass came out with their 1099 or 999, whatever it was, uh, almost a year ago, every other chain has been scrambling to create their own subscription service of some sort. Uh, Cinemark came out with a version. Um, we just learned today that Alamo Drafthouse is going to be coming up with a subscription service. And last week, AMC announced that they were going to uh, come out with a service which would allow you to get twelve mo- see twelve movies per month for nineteen ninety five. Now this is considerably more, and it's twice as expensive as Movie Pass. However, there are no restrictions, um, as in you can you can see IMAX, you can see three D, you can see primetime things, you can reserve online, which those things are all very important to me. Um, it's still. Not something I'm probably going to look into, but it is, I think, a, a very good deal in the subscription thing, which we're going to talk about uh, more of. And it's a much more sustainable uh, service, I think. Zach, what do you think? Uh, this service, AMC, stubs a list. I thought it was stubs a list. I was like, well, that's <laughs> a weird thing to call it. Stubs a list, which is an extension of their uh, AMC stubs rewards program. Um, it's It's... In intriguing, I guess, and like like you said, and like I will say again after this, we're gonna have a deeper conversation about this after our Jurassic World review. Stay tuned for that. Um, but as far as AMC directly, I guess I'm conflicted. On the one hand, like I I I I, I AMC and most theaters make their money off of concessions. That is primarily where their money is made, and so the way they see it. If you get people to come to the movies, odds are they're going to spend more money on concessions than they would on your service getting them there, which is your Stubbs program. So it all comes out in the wash, I guess. And right. you're hoping, you're, you're gambling on the idea that the average moviegoer will either go see movies less uh, than what this is worth or that the amount you'll pay out at the box office in, in paying distributors will come out to less than what you'll make at the concession stand. Um, right, so there's a lot of behind-the-scenes right. numbers. and that's the one hand. On the other hand, uh, I, I like 
I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like this is not a great idea. And, and I, can, I can explain more why in, in our next segment. Uh, I didn't mean for this to be a whole teaser for it, but uh, AMC is not the only company doing this. Uh, right. Other theaters are stepping up and doing things like this. And it's interesting to note that in, in the UK, they have, I think, two um, subscription services that are fairly uh, successful. And I don't know a lot about them, but I know that it's, noth- it's nothing new over there, which, where it does seem to be a very new thing here. Right. Over there, it seems like complete normalcy. Like, why, why wouldn't they have that there? And, like, part of the whole deal for it working there is a matter of, like, capital- <laughs> capitalist infrastructure, if, if I'm going to get particularly technical. Uh, they, they've been doing that for a long time and, and they're distributors of films over there and their production companies and, and their, their theater chains. Like they kind of have it worked out a little better than we do. Like yeah. we're kind of stumbling backwards into this. Uh, you know, we, we're, we're at a point where theater, you know what? We should get into it in, in the next bit. <laughs> sure, I don't want to dig sure, too sure. far into it. Stay tuned for that. Uh, our next story, uh, future, a star Wars story spinoffs on hold at Lucasfilm following the, Success, I guess, of Solo, a Star Wars story. If you or want to lack call thereof. It, yeah, lack Su- thereof. Lack of success. If you want to call it success, I don't. Uh, Lucasfilm has decided they're going to take a break for a minute from the Star Wars story spinoffs and just focus on the trilogy they're in now, which is working on Episode Nine, and then also the trilogy to come from Rian Johnson and possibly... Another trilogy to come from David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, the creators of HBO's Game of Thrones. What do you think about this? Um, I think this is a really good move. um, Rogue One was pretty successful. It made a lot of money. It had a very troubled production. Um, Solo also had a very troubled production and was kind of a bomb. And I think Disney is realizing that they just need a little bit more time if they're going to do you know, some of these spinoffs. And so I think this is a very good move because they, they realize things aren't going really well and they're just going to put a stop to it before they just keep making worse films. They like, I feel like DC needs to take a page out of this book and say, Hey, let's, let's slow down on our production calendar and stop announcing five movies and let's just stop and make sure we have good scripts, good directors, all that to make a good product. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's not to say I'm not a little bummed by it. As a Star Wars fan, the idea of like unique, interesting stories separate from your traditional Star Wars universe, but still within the same brand, is intriguing. Like to anybody, I would think that would that would sound cool on paper. But the fact is, like when it actually comes down to making the movies and putting them together and seeing what people like and don't like. Somehow, both of these movies had some serious trouble, and that's a bummer. And that's not to say the episode titles haven't either. Like, from 7 to 8, there are some big differences. The directors had different ideas of where things would go, but at least those kind of fly under a unifying banner, whereas the stories don't have to, but therefore uh, aren't as successful for it, because... I guess you're not required to go see the previous ones and people will kind of skip them like, ah, I don't need to see the new solo movie. I'm not missing anything. Um, they're losing their luster. And if you're not going to tell really captivating stories, it's going to be a lot harder to get people in seats. So Right. I've said this before that they want Star Wars to be like the Marvel umbrella brand. Mm-hmm. Now, anything that's uh, when a Marvel movie comes out, everyone goes to see it just about. And, you know, some are more successful than others, but they're all really pretty good movies. There's not anything in there that is 
you know, just like terrible or just a waste of time. I mean, ever even the weaker ones are still a lot of fun. They're entertaining. They make, you know, good money. They move the universe forward. Um, and so that's what they want. I know that's what they want Star Wars to be. And they realize it's not kind of going that way right now. So they're slowing down. And I think it's a good move. Right. Um, so for anybody out there who's looking forward to the rumored Obi-Wan movie, um, and, Boba Fett movie. Development and, and Boba Fett movie by James Mangold, the director of Logan, uh, those are put on hold. Sorry. Um, it bums me out. It probably bums Andy out a little bit. Uh, I, but it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Like you guys, you kind of realign your focus, figure out where you're going. You got a good long time before the next Star Wars movie comes out. Use it wisely. Don't oversaturate the market. And hopefully... We'll get to a good place, I guess. Yeah, I've, I'm really looking forward to actually the end of this trilogy. Not episode nine, but when we get to Ryan, Johnson, Ryan Johnson's new trilogy. Right. I, I think what Star Wars needs more than anything is a fresh start. To be something new. New characters, new settings. Not constantly relying on the original trilogy, um, you know, to the detriment right. of, of the series. So I, I think whenever, I mean, that's going to be in the early 2020s. Um, and that's what I'm most excited for. Yeah. I, I think uh, I'm, I'm skeptical of Ryan Johnson and his Star Wars, and that's only because in Episode Eight, the one he did, he had to pick up a lot of pieces that he didn't put on the board, and he had to move them around and decide where they were going to go after. Uh, it didn't seem like he was super into that either, based on some creative decisions in there. With his own trilogy, the board is yours, sir. Yeah, you, yeah. you, you it is entirely your game to set up and win or lose. And I'm, I'm either way. Yeah, I'm intrigued to see where that goes. So hopefully something works out. I guess. Our last story, and I hope this has no reflection on our review, because uh, we'll get to that in a second. Jurassic World Two roars past 700 million at the worldwide box office. Big numbers for a big dinosaur movie. Thanks to its domestic opening of 150 million, it is killing it uh the fourth film the jurassic park movie saga that stormed its way i don't know where i was going with that i was reading right off an article i was totally <laughs> wrong that wasn't going anywhere so disregard that um yeah what do you what do you think Amy? well uh, what i was gonna say is i've read a lot of articles about how you know f- films and and studios are now really about these big franchises and it's because of things like streaming that mm-hmm. we have such good tv and that w- we can go to the small screen easier and people can get their kind of nuanced period pieces and things like that through netflix or hbo or through lots of other venues and so the studios are now just focusing on big franchises like marvel star wars jurassic world whatever something that will play everywhere something that will make big money here and abroad Mm -hmm. i I think i think that's uh certainly applicable to something like jurassic world not only because it's got the title world in it implying it's all-encompassing but part of the setting is on an island off the coast of costa rica it feels foreign and tropical and dinosaurs are uh I guess apolitical. They cross party lines. Anybody <laughs> yeah. can like dinosaurs. We can all relate. Yeah, who doesn't like dinosaurs? Who right? doesn't like dinosaurs eating people? Uh, so that's a good time, I guess. Um, I, I I don't have the numbers directly in front of me on how the last one did. I guess this probably did better than Jurassic I, World. No, it, it not quite as much, but it's still up there. I think the first one. Um, Probably made about $20, $30 million more it's, on opening weekend. It's worth mentioning that this is a a little bit of a swing at Disney's revenues, right? Because Disney yes. is the only company right now making money like this. And, and Jurassic World 2 comes along 
and here we are. And they scooped up the director of, of Jurassic World 1, uh, Disney did, Colin Trevorrow, to make Star Wars Episode 9. That didn't work out. Um, but it's interesting. Yeah, that, like, this movie makes this much money. I'm curious to see what that does to a company like Disney. Um, I'm curious to see how Universal handles it. Because, like, well done, Universal. You put out something decent. Don't blow it again like you did with the stupid Mummy reboot. Um, and I guess we'll see what happens, I suppose. So, yeah. And with that, we should probably move on to our first review of the show. And you've graciously agreed to take the summary for this. Please uh, do take my it best. Away. Yeah. So our next film, or our first film, is going to be Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. So, uh, what are you dating like an accountant now? Or? Owen. Ventriloquist? Stop it. You love a dummy. Uh, this picks up uh, several years after the events of the first Jurassic World, which was just kind of a disaster at the theme park. Um, and where we are now is our main protagonist, Claire, is trying to get the the dinosaurs off the island because uh, there's a big volcano that's going to be active and all the dinosaurs are going to die if someone doesn't come and rescue them. So she's trying to put together a, a rescue op. Uh, she does. She finds a wealthy benefactor that wants to help her get the, get the dinosaurs off. Uh, she puts together a small team uh, including chris pratt's uh owen grady and they go to the island to rescue the dinosaurs that's the that's the main uh setup right um i i don't want to get too spoilery uh, like on Fair any enough. any like on any po- movie we do this is not a movie podcast but i think it's it may be difficult to dig into some of the complexities of this movie without talking about where things go because it would be very easy to point at the plot and point out problems okay this was one of those movies i, I walked out of I, I try not to look at reviews for movies before i go see them because i don't want to be directly influenced by them and this is one i walked out of and was like Please, God, tell me the internet feels the same way about this movie that I do. And it seems like they do. Yes. I was not a fan of Jurassic World (laughs) Fallen Kingdom. This movie's got problems. It's got problems on problems. It was not great. It had issues. uh, And I want to talk about it. Andy, what did you think? Um, Well, I went in with a very open mind. I tried to. I think I did. I really do. Like, I felt like I went in and I was okay. So when I went into the first uh, Jurassic World, I think I I probably had kind of high expectations. Um, And after it turned out to just be a big dinosaur action movie, you know, I went in with the expectations for this one with the same thing. Like, the same way I went into Rampage or Pacific Rim or Tomb Raider. Yeah. You know, I'm just looking for a dinosaur action movie. I want to see people get eaten and chased by dinosaurs. That's what I'm signing up for. Um so it's it started off okay. Like the first third of the movie, they're on the island. They're trying to find some of the species and escape while the volcano is going off. Yeah, that's the best part of the movie for me. And then it goes downhill from there. <laughs> the second the second third of the movie is on a is mostly on a boat. The final third is in a large house, and it's just insanely boring. <laughs> yeah, for lack of a better term. Yep. Let's talk about where's the best place to start here. Plot, I guess, just kind of overall. Well, let, let me let me just talk about one more thing that yeah, yeah. I think was because I do, I do want to stay as positive as I can. Sure. Um, I did enjoy the cast. Um, Chris Pratt always really funny. I thought he had a lot, lot of good jokes. Was he? Uh, um, was he funny? To me, he was okay. And some of the other, um, you know, uh, one of the younger actors, uh, Justice Smith, who plays a character named Franklin, who's kind of a nerdy tech guy who's really scared and not doesn't want to yeah. be outside. Um, yeah. You know, he, I laughed a lot. Well, I could tell you're being cynical, but I, yeah. I laughed at him a lot. And it is an expensive movie, so sure. So there's great visual effects. Sets look 
really good. That, so that kind of thing, those are the positives. Yeah. Um, I Yeah, as, as far as the positives go, you're right. I should outline some of those. I, I had this gag I had worked up in my head where I was going to be like, here's what I liked about Jurassic World, and then just be silent. <laughs> um, but no, to be fair, uh, the visuals are pretty good as far as the dinosaurs are concerned because there, there were a couple scenes that I'm going to point out that, that like if you haven't seen the movie yet, please keep in mind when you watch it and, and, and tell me I'm wrong because I know I'm not. Uh, the dinos look pretty good. The landscapes look pretty good. Some of the close-up shots, some of some of the, the, the kind of the mainstream stuff, uh, I, I was frustrated with. Um, Chris Pratt was all right, I guess. He's Chris Pratt. Yeah, I was like, okay, you're you're pretty good. I, I you know I rolled my eyes a lot at the two sidekicks that were Franklin, the the systems analyst, and the Zia. Zia, the paleo veteranologist, something yes. like that. Yeah, dinosaur Dino veteran. Vet. Yeah, that one. They were okay for what they're worth, but I felt like a lot of the characters were oddly underutilized, um, or, or or overutilized in places they shouldn't have been. For example, uh, when they finally make their way over to the island off the coast of Costa Rica, um, some of the characters they take with them are very very question questionable. As, like they take the Franklin, the nerdy systems analyst with glasses and it's like okay i get you gotta get somebody to get into the computers but at the same time this guy looks like an intern yeah what does he know about it like at one point in the movie he's he's rerouting ac systems in the com in, in a complex and i'm like what would he know about an hvac system like he doesn't know anything about that it's like right up there with like ellie in jurassic park working her way in the security controls it back in the first movie equally absurd so in the, in that scenario why would you need somebody like him and it like it feels like you just kind of put him in the movie because it's like oh well they they fill this checkbox of like nerdy side character who's afraid of everything uh yeah or i like i don't know um and 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 the writing was was frustrating because it writes these characters into situations that it doesn't feel like they'd necessarily be in like jessica jessica chastain's character at the beginning of the you movie mean, she's uh, a bryce dallas howard bryce dallas howard's character at the beginning <laughs> of the movie she is a uh She's a, a, a dinosaur pro-lifer, and she's, she's, she's put up this whole uh, foundation, I guess, to, to help save the dinosaurs. And, and like, my, my immediate questions are, one, where's the PTSD? All right. Like, let, that's because that's how that where's would go. Where's the jail time? Yeah, and two, like, <laughs> why isn't she in jail? Yeah, like, after the events of the first movie, she should be almost on the run or if not at the very least like living a very very calm life far away from the idea of dinosaurs like you should be working in an office somewhere acting like all that stuff never happened you shouldn't be heading up a foundation for saving dinosaurs after what you did because people died on the clock on your watch in the per in the first film of course uh, jurassic world chris pratt's character is still <laughs> i don't know if this is a spoiler he's still living out of a van like really He's any. He, of course, he looks like he showered eight minutes ago and is an avid Pantene Pro V user. <laughs> yeah, like everything in his life is working out, and he's just like this charming dude who. Oh gosh, I guess I got to deal with the dinosaurs again. Um, like the the characters just felt real, like what stereotypical, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Very cookie cutter. Very square. Yeah, just very like traditional. Here's how these characters are supposed to work. What did you think? No, I, I agree, and I, I think I need to say for clarity's sake that. I did think that this was really bad. <laughs> like, Let's as, get that out in the open. Like, I, yeah. like I, there are some positive things, like in any movie, but I, it was really pretty atrocious. Like, yeah. It was, I mean, the plot was completely nonsensical. 
uh, like I said, other than Chris Pratt for me and some of the side characters, uh, most of the characters are forgettable. And they did this weird thing about kind of retconning a bunch of weird backstory into the Jurassic World like canon now or Jurassic Park canon. And, you know, they, they invent new relationships with people you knew from the first movie. And yep. it's just really ham-fisted and just a way to kind of involve people for the sake of involving people. Right. Uh, to dig into the other side of the coin, because there's always there's always got to be some kind of nefarious force outside of the dinosaurs. As far as, like, dino kind of bad guys are concerned, there's this very, very boilerplate-like gunnery sergeant character. Yeah. Who I swear was doing his best, worst Michael Shannon impersonation. Like, that was as close as I could get to describing his performance. I'm like, what? what is this guy going for? Yeah, I didn't know what his nationality was yeah. the entire time. You got uh, you, you got some characters who head up a another another foundation who are not directly affiliated with John Hammond, the scientist from the first one, but they funded him or something. Yeah, I don't really know exactly. And they've got a, like a, a caricature of John Hammond that looks very similar to him. Same facial hair, same haircut, has a cane with a mosquito and amber, just like him. Is in a wheelchair. Like it's very. I was, I was like, this is. Like it's like you were just trying to like I don't know if they wanted to CGI John Hammond into the movie or just needed somebody who looked a lot like him, but it was basically the same character, which is weird. You've got a young girl played by Justice. You said no, that that was a different girl. The, Justice is the uh, is Frank plays Franklin. Oh, gotcha. Okay, it's good because I was going to say that I didn't think that girl was particularly outstanding at all. Uh, a- Isabella Sermon. She was Maisie. I mean, I get it. She's a child actor. Like, it's it's a struggle being in a big movie like this, but a little forgettable. Uh, Rafe Spall, uh, a UK actor who's in this, uh, who was good, I guess. Surprisingly good accent, to be fair. Pretty yeah. good English or American accent, but overall, I thought his performance was kind of lame. And I think a lot of it just comes down to the script writing. It just wasn't yeah. that tight. Like, it was just kind of, you know... Yeah, the, like I said, the the best part of the movie is the beginning, and then it just it really kind of goes nowhere, and it's somehow outlandishly boring. Yeah, the, the, the plot is very oddly structured, and they come across more than a series of, of, of plot holes where, where things would not be possible or things would not happen in the way they happen in the movie realistically. And for everybody out there who's thinking, well, it's Jurassic World, like, it's Jurassic Park, dinosaurs walking around in reality wouldn't be realistic that wouldn't work right but that's completely antithetical to the first film where they had a 15 minute science montage with like a cute animated character explaining how everything that's in it is possible and could happen in reality that's part of the fun it's a michael crichton book for god's sake like people like that the mosquito and amber they pulled his dna and made dinosaurs like that's part of the science fiction that's how you root it in reality so i don't think stopping and saying okay well wait that doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense that there would be no guards around that dinosaur cage where they have a dinosaur caged um is too far of a reach for a movie like jurassic world there's just some very simple moments that like they didn't they didn't think about it they didn't bother to think wait this wouldn't work because there would be a bad guy there or this wouldn't work because the dinosaur would eat them like I, they they missed it somehow yeah. I, did you run into that at all yeah, yeah. The thing that, that that kind of stands out to me, what you were mentioning, is um, there's a whole lot of nostalgia bait in this movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of very direct references to the original Jurassic Park. All, you know, it's always to the original. Just, I mean, the same problem in Star Wars. Um, 
there were a number of shots that are directly taken from the original film, like recreations. Uh, like there's a s- scene that's very similar to when they're in the, the Raptors are in the kitchen in the, in the original one. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of that. And again, it just, it was a little less heavy handed than it was in something like solo, but it's still like, it's just there. So you can say, Hey, that, that looks kind of like the first movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, it has a goofy, the way it's shot, was a problem. Like I said, there there was some stuff in it that was good. Uh, the C, a lot of the CGI was good for the dinosaurs. But at the same time, um, it's worth noting uh, one of the final big fight scenes with dinosaurs at the end where, like, two, two raptors are facing off and it's all tense. It's done entirely in the rain, which I want to point out. I don't think, at least nowadays, maybe it's changed. I don't think that's for, like, quality assurance and that ooh, it's going to look so cool because in the rain it's for quality assurance because it's easier to fool people with cgi yeah because it's like muddled and hard to see because it's raining that's what gore verbinski did in the 1999 uh godzilla movie like everything was rainy to make it easier to sell godzilla on screen and like that comes across a couple times here i don't know if that's just being cheap on the cgi or what that is but uh something i did want to point out two scenes in particular that bugged me one uh when we're back on the island outside of essentially the coast you get one one scene on the interior of the island which i know it's called fallen kingdom and it's like well it's not supposed to all be on the island fine but you get one scene on the interior of the island like in the woods and that scene has a lot that happens in it a lot of plot development in that in that first first act and it's entirely filmed in a studio. They didn't yeah. even go out to the woods. Like they they have artificial plants in the background and then green screen. And it's not that you can't see the it's not that you can't see the green screen. Like that's not it. It's it's that you can see the lighting on Chris Pratt and everybody else. And it's like clearly they're inside. You're clearly inside yeah. filming this. Like you're not outside. You're not out in the woods. You're just doing this on the back lot. Like you're not fooling anybody. And then the other thing is towards the end, there's a big. Uh, essentially a, a gathering of, uh, of, of of sorts for a, a certain type of individual that are perhaps nefarious. And I don't want to get too into spoilers, but... Yeah. By the way, the trailer is extremely spoilery, so... I'm Very spoilery. Yeah, 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 sure. Uh, this room that, that essentially a bunch, a bunch of, of, of bad folks meet up in is painted almost entirely black... And it's got all these like ornate things in it, and it's like it's it's evil McEvil room. It <laughs> looks like McEvil it looks like the room. Yeah, it's like McEvil Mansion. It's spo- yeah, it's supposed to be more evil than like the room Doctor Evil gets his like evil henchmen to meet in. Like it's so ham fisted and milk toast. It's like who wrote this? Who who drew up a sketch of this room? And they're like, that's where it's gotta happen. That just evil stuff happens in that room. People people plot things and dinosaurs are involved. Like insanity um completely and again i I know i'm claiming realism in a movie with dinosaurs but like there's got to be a level there's got to be a bar there has to be a level of quality for something you know for science fiction to work it has to be rooted in reality when you're doing things that are completely unrealistic you start to lose that so yeah yeah one of the the things i was going to mention is that you know the original jurassic park is like an action thriller that's what's part partly so memorable because it looks like you know, I remember seeing the trailers and this is, oh, this looks like a cool dinosaur movie. And then it, it's like, it's really, it's got a lot of horror elements and thriller elements. And I feel like this movie tried to create some of that, but n- at no point was anything ever thrilling or did I feel like the characters were in any real danger 
Right. No, never, never once thought the characters were in any actual danger. And there were opportunities. There really were. And, and that was something I had gotten a conversation with somebody about earlier who saw the movie. They said, well, the first Jurassic Park wasn't, wasn't all that grisly. I'm like, no, but like it had, it had, it had a tension to it because you truly didn't know who was going to live and who wasn't. Right. Like, well, and that was part of the fun, you know, and like this movie just does not feel that way. It's like Chris Pratt and, and Bryce Dallas Howard are probably going to be OK. You know, yeah, the 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 goofy systems analyst and, and the paleo veteran probably going to be fine. Like the child actor, Maddie, probably going to be OK. Like so but like no name henchman number eight. Yeah, probably not going to exactly, be exactly. Okay. Yeah, that 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 guy who's holding him at gunpoint right now and has had two lines in the whole movie probably going to get iced. Like it's 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 predictable in that way, and frustrating. Um, because again, it's not it's not that Jurassic Park has ever been particularly grisly. It's that dinosaurs didn't care if you were good or bad; they ate everybody equally. And this movie doesn't seem to do that so much. Right. It's, Everyone was in, in danger yeah, in the first one. Right. Uh, and, and arguably, like, there weren't even really... I mean, in, in the first Jurassic Park, who's the bad guy, really? Like, there isn't even really one. Right. It's the dinosaurs. Man yeah, himself. exactly. Like, we, we turn on ourselves, and we kind of hurt ourselves that way. This movie, like, nope, we have to have a, a relatively clearly defined good guy and a bad guy. And that's how it's got to work. And, and these characters blame themselves for things that happened in the previous movie, and they try to, yeah, shoehorn in a bunch of... Jurassic Park canon stuff that I guess is set up for the next movie that I hope nobody goes and sees. Uh, so, yeah, it's just... Did I say ham-fisted? I said ham-fisted yeah. already. Ham-fisted. So, it has been confirmed there is going to be a third, especially with something making $700 million sure. on its opening of course. worldwide weekend. Yeah. Um, so, we definitely... There will be another one I, get going in that direction. Uh, the end of this film is really pretty nonsensical and a whole lot of nonsense and doesn't make a lot of sense... To anyone, and you know, I had a really big eye roll at, oh, the, at the end as well. There, there was. Did you stay for the post credit scene? Nope. There was a post credit nope. scene. The second that the movie hit credits, I got up and left. The, the second, it was like bump bump, and I got up and walked out. Like done. I, I, I could not wait. I didn't want to deal with other people leaving the theater. I, I, it's not worth it for yeah. me. There is a post credit scene. It's no. not. It's definitely not worth waiting for. <laughs> Really? Okay. Well, yeah. that's no. And I had the other thing is is I was in there for a long time, and it it felt a lot longer than it was. Like it's it's two hours, which is a good runtime for a yeah. summer blockbuster, and it felt forever. Maybe it was because the half hour of previews I had to sit through beforehand. Mm-hmm. I I I guess I don't have much more to say yeah. about it. I mean, I have other things from kind of just talking in circles. Uh, again, one other thing I did want to say, I actually enjoyed the opening sequence. Kind of liked it. It was, it, you don't really know what's going on. You're, you're trying to find setting. Uh, it's, it's, it's a couple of guys kind of poking around the old park. Like, interesting. Like, that had my interest. And then everything from that is downhill. Um, and that's such a bummer because I'm, I'm a big Jurassic Park fan. And this yeah. did not quite scratch that itch. I feel like you've, if you've seen the trailer, you've seen all the best parts. Yeah, it's true. Andy, any other thoughts? No, I think we're ready to wrap up. I'm, God. W- would you recommend Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom? Absolutely not. <laughs> like if, no. I was thinking about this early. If you're a fan of action movies, don't see it. If you're a fan of Jurassic World, don't see it. If you're a fan of Chris Pratt or Bryce Dallas Howard or science fiction or, you know, spending your your time in a meaningful way, don't see it. Yeah. 
Uh, I, I agree. Would not recommend under any circumstances. If it's on Netflix, don't waste your time. Uh, the only reason I would say this movie might be worth your time is if you've got a young child who's reeling into dinosaurs, because this movie is very much like Baby Plays with Dinosaurs. Like, it's, it is boilerplate, it is milk toast, it is small time, it, it does not reach, it does not try to do anything new or unique. The director did not try, J.A. Barona, uh, did not attempt to do anything new or fun. It was, I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow the script exactly, I'm gonna do exactly what the producers want, and I'm not gonna do anything cool or interesting. It is... There's not really anywhere it is to lazy go filmmaking. for this this franchise. Like no, really, really after the first one, that like that's kind of it. Yeah, I agree. I and it's not that it needed to go anywhere anyway, but like, I don't know what I thought was going to happen in Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. I don't know what I expected, but it was better than this. Like whatever it was, whatever I thought was going to happen when I walked in the movie theater was 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 more magical than what actually happened. Yeah, I. I didn't like the original or the first Jurassic World. I thought it was just not a good movie. I thought it was just a big cash grab. Yeah. And that movie looks like Citizen Kane I know. compared to this movie. <laughs> That's how I felt. I, I did not like Jurassic World. Uh, a lot of people crit- criticized me for it. Ah, you're just too attached to the first movie. This is a reboot. You can't hold it, hold it up to the same expectations as the first, which is a, a ridiculous argument. But... Uh, you know, I had problems after watching this. I'm like, now I kind of appreciate it. Like, I yeah. didn't know, how, I didn't know how good I had it. I really didn't. Because, <laughs> like I said, uh, the first one works as a dinosaur action movie. Yeah, which is all I wanted, and that's not what I got in this movie. Right, this one was not that way. Um, really a bummer. So that's Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. Don't waste your time. <laughs> uh, now for our next segment, you want to you want to do the honors? It's time for the death of cinema. So on today's show, uh, we want to talk about MoviePass, and not only MoviePass, but subscription-based ticketing services for theaters in the United States, and and their seeming rise and possible over-the-hill demise? Possible fall. I guess, yeah. Uh, Only time will tell. We've talked about it on the show before. We've done it in news. We've talked about what it might mean. We talked about it today on the news. Um, but I think it's worth visiting or revisiting to have a bigger conversation now that Cinemark, AMC, and just recently announced, I think today, Alamo Drafthouse are all jumping on subscription services. All of them are getting into it. Right. Yeah. So with that in mind, uh, why? <laughs> why are why are movie theater chains hopping on the subscription-based service after they've gone this long on the same old show up to the box office, buy your ticket, and move on mentality? Why are they suddenly jumping on to what MoviePass is doing? If MoviePass is so detrimental to Hollywood and cinema, why are other chains picking it up? Well, it really starts with, it kind of actually backs up to things like Netflix and other things like Uber. Basically, the sharing economy slash the subscription economy has made people try to invent subscriptions for other things. Now, subscription services for films and theaters is not anything new. They've been around for a while, but they've been kind of pricey. Uh, MoviePass, when it first came out, um, probably seven or eight years ago, it was 50 bucks a month, um, which is a steep price, but it's it was unlimited films. And that that is a sustainable model. That makes sense. If you are going to the theater twice a week or more, 
that's a sustainable thing. Yeah. But last August, they lowered their price to nine ninety nine. They basically went into the same realm as Netflix, Amazon Prime, those other kind of streaming services, and everyone jumped on it, or tons of users did. But they're hemorrhaging money left and right. Their stock has gone from $35 to $0.35 cents in the last 10 months. They're on the verge of being delisted from NASDAQ. Um, so movie pass is having trouble, but it, it has disrupted the industry. There has been an increase, I think, in some people going to the movies. And, and the rest of the theaters are trying to either jump on on the same wagon or they're trying to kind of crush movie pass or just kind of stop it from happening. Right. Before I get too far into this, I think it's important to double back on my, my little introduction to this segment. Uh, movies, the way theater tickets are sold has changed because now you have assigned seating, you have online ticketing, things have changed. Like it's it's not the same as it always was where you gotta show up an hour beforehand and sit through the pre-show. Like it's not, uh, to be fair, it is different. Theaters are changing it up. They're, they're trying to get people to come back to the movies because a lot of people don't. And a lot of people think it's expensive, which Andy's had a lot of arguments about on our movies. That's right. Uh, <laughs> some Cheesecakes. Some, some excellent uh, points in the pantheon of, of bold cinema. Uh, I, I think they, they want to stay on what's trendy. They want to stay on what's making money. And it's undeniable that MoviePass is doing something. It's a nationwide right. service. A lot of people are buying it. Making money is not one of them. Making money is not one of them, yeah, which is part of the problem here. But it's worth looking at something like Gotti, which made uh, MoviePass made claims they made what forty percent of the sales on that movie. Right. People go to see movies when they have MoviePass. People go to the movies, and they're willing to go see movies they may not have seen otherwise. And the gamble, like I said earlier, is that these people, after saving money on the ticket, are going to spend that money at the concession booth. Right. And theaters will make money for it. And I believe that's happening. I think that's happening too. I, I think it is because back when we started this show, there was definitely an episode where I said, uh, if I had movie pass and I went to the movies, I would spend that money on food. Like I just would. I, to me, it'd be like, oh, it's like, it's almost free. It's buy a movie ticket, get a popcorn free. Like it doesn't, it doesn't equate the same in your head yeah. to I, cost money. I already do that kind of on accident because if let's say a big movie's coming out and yeah. I buy my ticket on, let's say a Monday, sure. like I'll show up on Friday forgot that I actually had to already pay for the ticket and say, oh, and so I'll just like incept myself and and buy some extra concessions because yeah. I bought the ticket on Monday. You don't think about it. Um, and and that's, that's great for theaters, but they're not the ones that make movies. And that's the issue. And, and that's part of the problem with the UK and the relation there. Theaters make their money off the food and that's great, but they also make their money off the movies because people wouldn't go to the movies if it wasn't for those, the movies. Like people wouldn't buy concessions if they didn't have something to watch while they're eating them. And it's easy for theaters to forget that, I think. To look at your bottom line and go, nope, we make more money when we sell this versus selling that. But it's 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 kind of a, is it wrong of me to say parasitic relationship? It is. Nobody goes to the bit. movie theater to buy the popcorn and leave. Like you go for the movie. That is the feature. You know, everything else is just kind of glomming off the top. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this before. And, you know, you've said, and a lot of people have said that, you know, movie ch- passes change the game. They've done some, they've shown that, that audiences want subscription services. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think I disagree with that. I don't think that they actually do. What they want is, ch- is, is stuff for cheap, stuff for free. Like every, everyone, want, they want to go to the movies, get popcorn for $5. Like they, that's what I think people want. And people want the Netflix experience in the theater. They want to pay nine ninety nine a month and see as many movies as they want. 
no restrictions, see 3D, IMAX, whatever, popcorn, drink, nachos. If I have to pay more than nine ninety nine, then this is a ripoff. And I think that just says more about people largely being cheapskates yeah. <laughs> and, and less about what people want from the movies. Because I think when you introduce sustainable subscription models like AMC's uh, new service or anything else that's anything that's $20 or more a month, you know, and people rightly so are, are going to say, well, I could just go to the movies once or twice, pay, you know, just pay regular price. And it's really not that much difference. Right. Uh, I think it's worth noting here that people, um, I, I don't know, like, like I mentioned earlier when we were talking about this before the show got started, like I, I think theaters would have much more success finding some, some kind of subscription model that included concessions. Right. Like you said, Netflix. If small, I you get a small popcorn. Yeah. If I, if I paid 30 a month, which is a stretch for me, but if I paid 30 a month and I could go to any local AMC and I would get any ticket I wanted and like a small popcorn, medium drink, or maybe even small, small, like now we got a conversation. Cause then right. I feel like I really am saving money. I'm like, man, I, I go twice in a month and that pays for itself. That's probably inaccurate. But maybe it is. I don't know. Um, I think you got to find that middle ground. Yeah, if, if I go to the – like, it's great. You have a subscription service. It's great. It's great that I can cover my ticket. But I still got to pony up when I get to concession. And and I think something like uh, – something like what Amazon's doing, oddly enough, and I draw way out of conclusion from here, with their Amazon Go store, the idea that you don't ever get out a wallet, you don't ever have to pay anything, you just walk in and it scans your app or whatever as you go in, you grab what you want off the shelf – and you walk out and scans as you leave and bills you automatically, you remove the points of purchase. You remove the the the, the moments right. when you out have sight, to remember. Mind. Yeah, exactly. You have to remember that you have to pay for something. That's what maybe they should be focusing on. Maybe you should spend more time on that and a little less time on what you think is working for MoviePass because clearly it's not. They're running out of money, and this is only going to prove to probably choke them out. Like yeah, I mean, they may not survive this summer. That yeah. That's how it's looking right now. <laughs> Which is um, wild to me, the, the the rise and demise. I think the other thing worth having a conversation about here is data collection. Right, because okay. a lot of people forget that with yeah. MoviePass. A lot of people like to forget that that's a thing, and it is. Like they, It's very explicit in the terms of use. When you sign up for MoviePass, they are collecting your data and selling it. They are watching what you're buying, your demographic, where you're going to see stuff. That all goes somewhere. That all matters to somebody. It has to matter because MoviePass is so cheap. And that's part of the thing. You're paying for it. It's going somewhere. That data costs something. It's worth something. I I, I would be hard-pressed to believe that AMC and Cinemark and even Alamo Drafthouse aren't doing the same thing, right? Oh, absolutely. They have to be. Like, they have to be collecting the, those numbers and selling them to somebody or maybe using them internally. I don't know. Yeah, one statistic I've heard is that someone's Name, date of birth, phone number, email is worth to advertisers of around thirty dollars, thirty to thirty-five dollars. Thirty to thirty-five dollars, De- oh, wow. depending on how it's used and yeah. all that. So, yeah, that's definitely happening. Yeah. So here's a, here's a question, Zach. You and I, we see probably three to four movies in theater a month. Yeah, easy. Um, yeah. Why don't we have any of the movie pass or any of these subscription services? Right. Why do the guys who do a movie podcast who go see one movie a week, which is at least nuts, yeah, uh, why don't we do it? It's because of the hassle. Right. It is more trouble than it's worth. Like you do the math out of what you'd save using something like MoviePass, assuming you go to the right theaters 
assuming you go park in the parking lot and wait to buy your ticket after you sign up for the service and wait to get the card in the mail uh you you buy your ticket and you go in and hopefully it works and you don't end up in a situation like my local regal it's got a sign on the box office that says if you're using movie pass you can't do this this and this you have to assume you're finding a show that's not sold out that's not in a fancy theater you have to work all of that out on the back end before you go see your movie to save what a couple bucks and right right off off what the ticket price would be and even if you max out and go see four movies a week at most you're saving what ten dollars yeah yeah and, and that's <laughs> the thing we as as two people who see more movies than the average person does monthly this wasn't for us now partly is it is because i like to see things like the day it comes out or Thursday night showings yeah. and I want to reserve things. And you're exactly right. I don't want to jump through hoops. I just want to pay what it costs, reserve my seat, show up and wa- watch the movie. Right. And the other thing, the AMC, uh, their new thing or package a uh, service, I, I think is actually a pretty good deal, but it ties me to AMC. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we watch a lot of, you know, art house, bold cinema on this show. And it's not always there. Sometimes we have to go to an obscure art house theater in town to do it. So if you buy a subscription service, at least for us, we're probably going to have to still buy tickets in addition to that service. So yeah. in, in the end, you might save, it might save me $10. Yeah. And and for those of you out there thinking, oh, okay, well, you can't go see that many art house movies, AMC carries stuff. We, we're, we're in Dallas. I had to find a Cinemark to go see The Shape of Water because it right. was a Cine Arts picture, which AMC wasn't running. That won Best Picture. It won Best Picture last year, and AMC didn't have it in, D, in DFW, at least when I went to try to go see it, to be fair. Maybe maybe you saw it at Dallas, and, and, and I'm nuts. Email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. If, if I am, it's a shameless plug for the email. Um, it's a shame because you'd think somebody like people like us would be like so into movie pass. All over it, right. It's just not worth the trouble. It just isn't. Like, you haven't reached a price point where I think, you know what, that is worth the price of admission. Like, you just haven't. Uh, That is worth me having to go to the trouble to do all of that stuff and get tickets. Um, I would rather just look up my movie times like I have always done, drive to the theater, get my ticket, and go to the movie. Like, or or buy it online if that's the way you go. Right. I think what what I've accepted is that there probably isn't a good model for a subscription service to the movies. Not one that I'd be interested in. I mean, I probably spend 40, 50 bucks a month seeing movies and maybe I could funnel that into a, some, uh, you know, sub subscription thing, but uh, there's, there's so many hoops. There's so many catches to all of them that, uh, to me, it's just not worth it. Not to mention it's, we were talking about this last week. It's volatile. Like yeah. it changes. That's something that movie pass has been doing. They've been adding, what are they at? Surge pricing. Surge pricing. So what that means is if you see a movie on, let's say, Friday night or Saturday night, it's going to cost you more than if you saw it on Tuesday afternoon. Right. As well as if you see a big blockbuster versus, you know, something that's maybe not doing too well that's been in theaters for three weeks already. Right. And for those of you out there who might be playing along at home and thinking, well, some something like Uber does that. Uber has surge pricing. During popular times, they cost more. Sure. Uber is in a subscription service. That's the difference. Uber is you buy your one thing as you need it, and that's that. If I had to pay $20 a month for Uber, and then they worked in surge pricing on top of that, I'd be like, well, this sucks. Like, that doesn't add up. Right. How would surge pricing work for something like MoviePass? It's supposed to be a one-and-done thing, but it isn't. Like, And it continues to not be that. Yeah, it's, and it seems like every other 
week or every other month they're coming out with new pricing models or new chain pricing changes. Right. Not to mention they may not make it till the end of the summer. Right. The point is, like, it's caustic, and there's a lot of potential problems uh, with what they're doing. And and not to say that it's not admirable because other theaters seem to be picking up on it, but I can't help but wonder if this is one of those things just going to kind of come and go. You know, 10 years from now, we're going to look back and be like, movie pass. Whatever happened yeah. to that? It's, that was it's a great the 3D, service. It's the 3D of film, yeah. theater subscriptions. It really... <laughs> 3D, that's that's fantastic. And I mean, I really, I really do believe that the uh, um, that all the competing ones, Cinemark, Alamo Draft House, AMC, I really believe that they're just they're just coming out with something so they they can compete. And I, I don't think they really plan to stick with those long terms. Like if if Movie Pass goes belly up, I think we're going to see these go away or they, or just stay there. And you know, if you sign up for it, great. If not, that better probably. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I think this will snuff out movie pass and then they'll slowly just drop off one by one until they're all gone and then we'll be right back to where we were right and that's that's business for you sure that's capitalism we should move on to our last film of the evening we spent way too much time talking about death of cinema <laughs> and stupid jurassic world uh, the last movie we saw which is on amazon prime is luke Besson's valerian and the city of a thousand planets because the sky is blue it makes me Is it Besson? Besson? Besson. Besson. Yeah. It's French. I, I'm not French. A Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets is the story of Major Valerian and his Lieutenant Valerie? I think I got the name of that Loreline. Right. The Loreline. Where did I get Valerie from? I don't know. Lieutenant Loreline. Yes. Uh, who is his partner in crime and sidekick. It is based on a old school graphic novel. I think it was just like a comic book back in it the day. It was a comic book series by uh, Pierre Christen and Call. Jean-Claude Mezzeri. <laughs> Why am I doing it? It sounds like you got this worked out way better than I did. Uh, <laughs> Valerian and Laureline was the name of the uh, comic. This is the story of the two of them uh, making or breaking it, I guess, in a dystopian future where humanity, along with... I guess 999 other planets uh, of civilizations have come together in one giant space station to create a floating city of a thousand planets where every alien race in the Metroverse can live together and coincide. But of course, alas, something has gone wrong. Something's wrong on the, on the, on the station and somebody's got to get to the bottom of it and figure out, figure out what's what. And, and only Major Valerian and, and Lieutenant Laureline can get Sergeant Laureline. Sergeant Laureline can get to the bottom <laughs> of it. Um, that's the story. Uh, it, it is an exciting action science fiction romp. Andy, what did you think of Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets? Well, before I get into it, I do want to kind of give a little bit backstory of why we decided to do this. So first of all, it is playing on Amazon Prime. Um, so to, if you have that, it's not co cost you any extra to see. Um, but also, this is kind of where bold cinema was born because there was there was an article that came out last summer when this movie came out and this movie was a big bomb um <laughs> box office bomb it was uh, when yes. the movie came out there's an article that said valerian why audiences reject bold cinema and it, as if it were bracing for the fact that it was going to bomb and there and the article was arguing well it's it's too bold for the average person and that's why you know people aren't going to go see it 
Um, so we ran with that, and now we are. Um, <laughs> what was a joke is now serious. We are the home of bold cinema. Yeah. Uh, it's worth noting that this movie was, what, entirely funded by Luc Besson? And yeah, his, his company. His company, Europa, I think was the Europa one. Europa Corps. Yeah. Uh, they put together this movie. It was very expensive to make. A lot of CGI, a lot of creativity, a lot of imagination. Um, but it was his pet project for a very long time, similar to Scorsese and Silence. Something he really wanted to do. He finally made it happen. The director of Fifth Element has got his new, hot, science fiction original film. Uh, what's going to happen? <laughs> well, like Andy said, uh, box office bomb. Did not do great. Um, I guess we should get into why. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll start with, again, the, the positives. It is very visually stunning. There are a lot of really incredible uh, aliens, species, that, uh, a lot of incredible environments. And like like you said, it harkens back to the fifth element, which also had a lot of that same really kind of otherworldly creativity. Um, to me, there's almost a little bit too similar to the fifth element in that look. Like I can just easily tell it's the same director and same inspiration. Um, yeah. But th there are some really impressive uh, visuals, um, a lot of cool action sequences. Um, there's one part particularly where Major Valerian is kind of running through the city and he's breaking through walls and he breaks through these different environments. And, you know, it's, it's a good just kind of cool romp through the, the whole city. A bit totally made me roll my ass. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. There, it was a good and it was all like one take kind of. Yeah. yeah. Like it was a cool. It was a cool sequence. And, like, this movie has a, a good handful of those, I think. Right. Like, really interesting set pieces or looks or, or, like, really, really cool, like, art direction in this. Really, really clever ideas. Right. Yeah. It, it does not really succeed on a narrative level. Um, the, the, the plot is basically uh, Major Valerian and Sergeant Loreline have to kind of save the city from this, you know, ambiguous evil darkness from within. Um the middle of it really drags because they both kind of get captured or something like that. And the other one, each one has to save the other. Or they take turns saving each other mm -hmm. basically is what happens. And it starts to feel like a really lame side quest in a video game where it's like, oh, you got to do these five things before you can rescue them. Very and, much so. And then it, oh, th man. then they basically switch spots and it's like, oh, well, now Loreline, you have to do these five things to rescue Major Valerian. And then the story kind of gets going. Oh, man. Yeah, it, it really it really struggles there. Um, yeah, we should talk about the plot first. Um, as far as the kind of general progression of things, it's a little confusing because you have to set up an, an entirely fictional, well, mostly fictional universe that's built on what we already know and progressed like 50 years or something. I don't, I don't remember yeah. exactly when the timeline is, but... So it starts, it opens with a very cool opening sequence set to, to, to Bowie, uh, and, and you get this really cool progression of time, how like the space station started with just a couple astronauts up in space on the space station as we know it, and then Russia comes up, and then China, and then before they know it, they got this big space station, and then this giant alien ship comes in, and oh, the first alien species, and then another one, another one, and time keeps progressing as this thing grows, and more and more get involved, and before you know it, it's a giant space station, and the president of the, the Intergalactic Federation, played by Rutger Hauer, God bless him, <laughs> yeah. is like, we're, we're, we're moving it off land, and we're sending it out to space, Godspeed, uh, I forget the name of it exactly, the thousand planets, like, Alpha, Alpha, yeah, Godspeed, right. Alpha, may, may you go gently into that good night, um, and they take off, and so that's, that's good, like, that's a good presentation of how we get from the reality you and I know, sitting in the theater or at home watching, uh, to the setting for the movie. From there, we get some wacky 
alien species and and then you get some some weird like conflict that you don't really understand you're like okay now i don't know what's going on it's like the opening of fifth element you're like okay what what is happening right. here yeah like what is what is this pyramid and who's who's that guy what is that magic light like and then you get valerian and 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 Laureline, who are our main characters on their ship doing their thing uh kind so, of in a romance so, oh god yeah like oddly flirtatious but in an awkward way and this is where i want to stop and say that dane dehan love him to death did not appreciate his performance in this movie. Right. He reminded me of Neo in The Matrix. Just like deadpan. And like no like real gusto in his voice. Just sure. very much like, oh man. Like just like lame kind of. Cara uh, Delevingne? Yeah, right? Delevingne. She was great. I actually yeah, really liked yeah, her a lot. I agree, yeah, yeah. I, I thought she was fine. Uh, I, I was almost bummed she had to play second fiddle to this kid. Uh, but but the two of them kind of go back and forth and they're fun and you get this, this this real fun like action set piece on a on an uh, on on a planet, um, much like Tatooine I guess a giant desert and there's this like alternate dimension bit, and there's this fun with wearing goggles so you can see things and then you take them off and you can't and you gotta put your arm through this thing to be able to function like it's actually really cool to be fair yeah like, like that I really like that opening bit that whole bit was cool. It was lame because the way it was filmed, again, just like Jurassic World, like it was clearly shot in a studio and green screen. The lighting's all wrong because if you're standing out in an open desert, like there's going to be a boatload of light. It's going to be sunlight all over. And like there's clearly a lot of shadows. Like it doesn't look super realistic, but I guess that kind of plays to the charm of like being alien, I guess. I don't know. Right. Um, from there, you're whisked off to the, the alpha and, and that's where you get the the core conflict and right now now we've we've accomplished what we needed to on this little side mission we've set up our characters we've set up who they are and what they're about now we've got to deal with the main bit we're we're at our main setting alpha and frankly that felt like a step backwards to me because now you've moved the characters into a claustrophobic space where you don't really get any sense of space or or what's happening around them they're kind of just in tunnels and hallways for the rest of the movie and that was really a bummer like for a movie that's supposed to be this incredible like graphic you know graphical show and like have all these cool visuals like you lose a lot of them when you're in in essentially a space station of a cave like filming so that was kind of a bummer and and you're right the plot just kind of devolves from there um we still don't really understand what's happening from the beginning of the movie who those aliens were what's going on obviously that plays into towards the end of the movie so we'll get to that but in the meantime, yeah, Valerian and Laureline are running around, basically looking for each other, and it always feels like a side quest, because Valerian will cut off screen, and then it'll cut to Laureline, and you're like, she's like, well, I gotta find him. And then she runs into a character, well, to find him, you have to do this. And she, she goes to figure that out, and that person says, well, you're gonna have to bribe me for that. And she goes, well, I don't have any money. Well, you're gonna have to get some. Well, okay, well, now you gotta do that. Like, just, it's absurd. Yeah, like, the, the artificial hurdles that are put in front of the story just for the sake of padding that it frankly didn't need. Yeah, the, it's incredibly long. It's really two hours, long. two hours and 20 minutes. Way too long. No, 90 minutes would have been plenty for this movie. That would have been great. Like, just in, out, done. And I know Basson's big on his, his, his sci-fi epics. He did Fifth Element, for God's sake. He's a visionary, uh, if you believe that. Um, but this one just did not quite scratch that itch for me. Like I, I didn't, he didn't, he didn't get across that passion that he clearly found on the page with the comic book series. Right. It just didn't come across in, in the film. And I've, I've talked way too long about this here. Please take it away. What, uh, I think part of the problem that this movie struggles, I mean, had this come out 10, 20 years ago, it would definitely be, I think probably, uh, more important than it is. But now you have lots of other 
great sci-fi visionaries. Um, you know, you ha- you have uh, Den- Denny Vellanu from Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> my, my love. Yeah, yeah, you have Christopher <laughs> Nolan, uh, Inception, uh, Interstellar. You have lots of really great sci-fi now, and this it just kind of comes off as ch- not childish, but just not th- not very interesting. Yeah, like I again, I know it's based on a comic book. I should I should give it a break maybe, but at the same time, like you're right. Like we're in a totally different cinematic sphere for for science fiction epics. Like we just are. Uh, and and if had this come out twenty years ago, yeah, we might feel differently. But nowadays, like this is small time. Like you got you got to be way more clever and not in your execution of visuals because yeah. that was a big part of this movie. In in your writing, in your story, in your premise, like a movie like The Matrix is complicated, sure, but at its base, as far as filming filmmaking is concerned, like it's pretty simple stuff. Like it's 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 their writing and like it's it's their characters and the way they kind of put have characters run into each other in their plot. Like that's what makes science fiction so engaging. At its core, it has to be an interesting story to keep us going. And this movie just kind of didn't have it, and everything else is deflated for it. Yeah, all it has is aliens. It doesn't ask any kind of larger question. I'm reminded a lot of Minority Report. Yeah. Oh, it's a great piece of science fiction from Steven Spielberg, and th- that asks a lot of kind of deep questions about, like, the nature of justice and if someone does something or, and you know they're going to do it or but they haven't done it. You know, there's a lot of these kind of deeper science fiction questions and that's what you got to ask something going into it. I think I, I know for variety's sake to, to dig into a slightly different topic here. I want to talk about something we don't talk about often in the show. Costume design. Uh-huh. Weird. I know. Uh, Valerian and Laureline had really cool costumes. Everybody else in this movie looked so lame. Like the general or whatever who's supposed yeah. to be five star looks so stupid. Played by Clive Owen, I was like, who put him in that? Like that is that is so dumb. That that's doesn't make part, any sense. That's the part where it looks like they just went through the Fifth Element costume closet. It really and does. came out. Yes, it really does. And like, I man, there might be fans of Fifth Element out there who think it's brilliant. And like, I am not one of those people. Same. Uh, I struggled, and like, it's just goofy looking. Like, I can't. It's difficult for me to take Clive Owen seriously. When he, when he looks as stupid as he does in this movie, uh, and it's you know, and that's part of it. Like he's a, he's a five star general for God's sake. You're supposed to take him seriously. You're supposed to take him very seriously. Yeah, you look like you're in a ha- Halloween party. Right, and I like I compare that to some. Again, I know I'm drawing apples uh, apples and oranges here, but draw, drawing comparisons to apples and oranges. But like I look at something like The Shape of Water, right, Guillermo del Toro, set in like the 50s. All right, very simple. Look at like Michael Shannon's outfit in that. It didn't matter at all. Like, he's just, he's dressed as a suit. He's dressed as a normal guy. Like, he might take off his jacket and roll up his sleeves at most, but it didn't matter. Like, it certainly didn't draw from his performance. If anything, it added to it because it implied a simplicity in the individual who can be so evil that anybody could be in the same mindset as Michael Shannon is. Anybody could be as bad as he is. This is the exact opposite. You've got a character who's, like, incredibly supposed to be, like, the biggest and the best and the baddest as far as being a, a general goes and, and being hardcore. And he, he just looks like a kid in a suit. Like, he looks so goofy. And, like, you don't... You just completely lose it. You deflate any any potential for for menace or intrigue um, with terrible costume design. And there's a lot of it in this movie. Yeah. It's very odd. I mean, we've also, again, like you said, we, ha- we have lots of great sci-fi now to look back on. I, I'm, I've 
It reminds me a lot of things like Prometheus or even Alien Covenant, which was not good, but at least the costumes look convincing. Yeah. At least this looks like a real deal, you know, space crew. Right. Like, and again, I know, like, I shouldn't be getting hung up on costumes, but, like, it, it really is one of those things you don't notice until it's so blatantly wrong, and this movie just does not get it right. I know we mentioned time. That's an issue. Um, yeah. There's got to be there's got to be something else to grandstand on here, and I, I'm not sure what it is. What you know. did you think of Rihanna being in the movie and her p- character and performance? Oh God, uh, Rihanna as 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 Bubble, and also before I get too far away from it, Ethan Hawke as Jolly the Pimp. Yes, you heard that right. Uh, I I thought she was pretty good, vastly underutilized. Yes. Either, either or. Either you should have used her more or you should have used her less. Yeah. <laughs> either way. Um, Rian- she clearly uh, mirrors the, the opera singer character from The Fifth Element. Very much so, yeah. And it's it plays into... There's a great bit in there that plays into uh, how awkward some of the dialogue is in this movie because there's a lot of it. Um, she has this little bit about wanting to be a, a, a great artist. Um, which is cool. She's like a performer. And and then towards the end of the movie, one of the last times you, you see her on screen, uh, Valerian tells her, uh, you know, you're 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 one of the greatest artists I've ever seen. I'm like, she's been on screen maybe fifteen minutes. The whole movie. That like barely in the movie. What are you talking about? One of the greatest artists you've ever seen. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. And there's a lot of dialogue like that in this movie. Uh, to pivot right off Rihanna before you get an opportunity to say something, we'll come back to it. The whole thing with, with Valerian and Laureline, like having the weird jilted relationship thing, flirting, yeah. that goes through the whole movie. And it's always awkward. It never works, right? Like it's never... Yeah. No, it's, I feel like it's really outdated and old school and it's like an HR nightmare. Like that's their relationship. Yeah, it's horrible. I, I don't understand how they could possibly work together. It doesn't make any sense. Um, yeah, maybe it's just drawing straight off the comic, but the dialogue just does not come through. <laughs> I don't know if it's translation from French to English. It just, just doesn't work. Yeah. Like, it, it lacks a certain tone. Anyway, Rihanna, you, you brought her up. What did you think? Um, I, I agree with you <laughs> that she um, she's either in the movie too much or, or yeah. not, not enough. Yeah. But I also felt like she's just in there so you can so she can be half naked, basically, <laughs> like... Like, she's not really serving too, too much of a purpose. I hadn't thought about that. You might be right. Like, honestly, looking back, there's definitely some things in her performance. It's like, why if, was that in the movie? And I think if you cut, like, right after she does her, her like, big performance thing, that's the part that, that you said you, if you just cut down her role, I think that that probably would have been great. But then trying to actually flesh out a character from that it just seems awkward and seems like you're just trying to justify well we put her in a bikini so we got to do this thing so we don't get accused of sexism or something god it's much more than a bikini they put her in a nurse's outfit and a maid's outfit and they, they go the whole way straight, straight up stripper's outfit at one point you're right you're right and I, and I i know a lot of people i feel like would listen to this and go oh my god you'd rather just see the overly sexual stuff and then not see any of the character no, it's not that. It's that it's Rihanna. We all know it's Rihanna. We can watch the movie and know it's Rihanna. So we get this little, like, nod. She's a performer. She's supposed to be a big how-to-do. She's supposed to impress and, 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 and uh, I was going to say elicit people, but she's supposed to impress and, and, and amaze. And she does that in the movie, and she does it on screen to us because we know it's Rihanna. It's like a cheeky little thing, and that could be it. You're right. But instead, we're going to carry the torch, and we're going to make her a character. 
and we're going to run with it for like 15 more minutes and then you she's then not you don't see her. Yeah. yeah. So like cool, I guess, but like either use her more and make her main character Ocean's 8 style or don't. Yeah, like don't use her at all. Don't don't like I don't know, string us along and breadcrumb out some kind of cool character that never really turns out to be anything. And to be fair, her character is pretty interesting yeah. for what it's worth, but she never really goes anywhere. It's just kind of underutilized, so that was kind of a bummer. Yeah. So, yeah. Last thing I want to jump on is we mentioned Cara DeLevingne uh, before who pl- plays uh, Sergeant Lorelai. Yes. Um, she's very good in this film, and I feel like she's had a lot of big roles in bad movies. And, like... <laughs> But I'm just waiting for her to hit on something good. Uh, she was also in Suicide Squad. Um, I forget who she plays. She plays one, one of the Enchantress? less... Enchantress? Yeah, Enchantress. That's right. Um, ter- bad role in that as well. And I, I think I think she's really talented. I think that given the right ro- role, she could probably like deliver a really great performance. She just hasn't found it yet. She's just... And it's good. I mean, because she, I think she's actually a model originally, and she's moved into acting. So you know, you got to kind of bridge that gap. Um, but hopefully, she'll get picked up and for a better role, maybe a, more of a lead. I mean, this is a lead role, but you know, lead lead role or just something sure. be- better. Because uh, I think she probably could be great great actor and be a star, but she's got to get better roles. No, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I mean it. She was great. She really was. She's she's arguably the best performance in the movie like and it's a shame like it really is because her character by default of the comic i think plays even though she's second in the title she's she is arguably second fiddle like to to, to valerian she is valerian is, is is the cool hot shot han solo and she is the chewbacca like and that's a bummer <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't know round it off that sounds very bad but like it, i mean it really is and like her performance shines through that like I, I i would love to see her get more work she needs a role like saoirse ronan got in ladybird she needs something awesome like, yeah that i can like really give her a place and a foothold and this unfortunately wasn't it and that's a bummer um any other thoughts i think we're ready to move on andy would you recommend valerian in the city of a thousand planets so yeah this is kind of a uh, it's difficult to say it's it is streaming on amazon right now mm-hmm. if you're a big fan of the fifth element and big fan of some big visuals and you got two and a half hours to kill <laughs> yeah i might put it on um but uh there's a lot it, it's it's too long. It's too slow in the middle. Um, so, yeah, I mean, generally, probably wouldn't recommend it to most people. But if you're a big Fifth Element fan or a Luke Besson fan um, and you want to check it out, then, you know, it is. And you have that streaming service. Yeah, I, I agree. It's I guess it's fun. I guess I would say, like, like I said, there, there's some fun stuff in it. That first that, that third that first act isn't isn't bad. Yeah, it does get worse. You should know that going in, <laughs> um, but it's okay. There's some fun ideas, you know. Like, like I said, that the, the whole opening bit with the the, the alternate dimension and then the shootout thing—that's kind of fun. Like, I'll be honest, I, I had a lot of fun with that. That that was good stuff. That that was where I was most into the movie. Um, if you're yeah looking for something different, if if you, if you listen to this whole spiel and you're you're even somewhat interested, check it out. You'll, you know, it's free. You might be into it. You may not be. I'm sure there are some diehard fans out there. Uh, maybe if you got kids, sure, you know, why not? Like, if you, you're looking for something for the kids to watch, throw it on. Uh, if, you're, if you're drinking with friends, maybe. Like <laughs> if even you need then, something playing in the background. Even if you're inebriated, I don't even know if it's, if it's that much fun. But, yeah, if, you, if you're a big Fifth Element fan, if you're like, I want something just like Fifth Element, Check it out. You might be into it. And, and I think it's worth noting that is 
not great praise, but better than we gave Jurassic World, yeah. which says a lot because Jurassic World Lord. was not that great. Um, and for that, that wraps our show. Um, my God, what an episode. <laughs> right. And it, real quick, I just forgot. So it is important to know that Valerian is, this is an older comic book series and a, it allegedly inspired a lot of the things we see in Star Wars. Oh, I didn't know that. That's what I've I've read several places. Oh, good to know. And you well, can see and you can see a little bit of that. Small beginnings, right? For what it's worth, uh, we should talk about what we're doing next week. Next week, we're going to be watching Sicario: Day of the Soldado, which uh, I, I I don't again. I said it before, and I'll say it again. I I don't want to get into reviews because I, I, I try not to go see reviews before I see stuff, but I've definitely seen some headlines on Twitter. Supposedly, kind of good. That's what I've heard, that's, that's anyway. Good. Yeah, that's I've, good. I've, I've, heard, I've heard some reviews that people are like, it's kind of good. So I, I guess we'll see. Yeah. I, I don't know. I should definitely try and finish the first one. I never finished the first one, Andy. And I'm going to I'm it's have to freaking... Velenu, I know, like, I'm going to have to rent it and like actually watch it because it's not on Prime anymore, and it was, which sucks. But uh, I will rent and finish the first one, which will be good to get into this one, I think. That'll be... That'll definitely. Help me kind of anticipate it. Uh, the other movie we're going to watch, and I'm, I'm a little wary of this, but I'm still excited to watch it again because I think it's that good, is on HBO, right? Right, HBO streaming. It's going to be It. Yes, that one. Uh, and it's going to be good, I think. Uh, we already watched it on the show, right? No, this was it right before we kind of started the was show. Was it really? Yeah, it was. I could have sworn we talked about it on the show. Mm. Either Just, way, Justice League was our first episode. If that's right, if not, then I'm looking forward to talking about it because if we haven't talked about it on the show. It is totally worth the conversation. Um, that movie does a lot of stuff right and some stuff wrong. To be fair, there's some stuff in that movie I don't like, uh, and we will talk about it next week. So Sicario two and it, check it out. As far as the spoilers go, it's always spoiler free. We're not into that. We should maybe we should be. We should talk about that some other time. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, but for now. No spoilers, we swear. Uh, to get involved with the show, let us know what you thought. Suggest a movie. Give us some correspondence. We'll read it. First thing, I swear. Uh, mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Check out our website, offscriptfilmreview.com. Follow us on Facebook at Offscript. Follow us on Twitter at Offscriptcast, I think, is our show title on I Twitter. I don't remember. You run the Twitter. going to get way up here? I don't know. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, follow us on Instagram for more goodness. And from all of us here at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.